Hi, this is Thomas Purefoy Jr. I'm the producer, writer, and director of Is Genesis History, and you're listening to Joe Taylor on Fake's Edge. I had the idea in my head that I had done something that God could never... He would probably banish me to some corner of heaven. I mean, I knew Jesus Christ as my Savior, so I knew I was going to heaven, but would he ever want to be close to me again? All right, it's you and me. Let's do this. Thank you to Thomas Purifoy Jr. for the introduction. Thomas and I had a great conversation about the age of the earth, the scientific support for a global flood, and why the book of Genesis and the Bible, for that matter, can be trusted as a historical document. You can hear our conversation at onfaithsedge.com slash 81. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 81. Over the years, you and I have heard trials, struggles, and victories from Grammy Award winners, best-selling authors, professional athletes, Dove Award winners, and other entertainers, authors, speakers, and prominent business people. People like Michael Sweet from Striper, John Schlitt of Petra, Pat Boone, Joel Smallbone from uh, For King and Country, comedian Shonda Pierce, um, Danny Gokey, and baseball great Daryl Strawberry. They all shared their faith experience and much, much more with us. All are amazing and inspiring and thought-provoking stories. But now I want to hear from you. We're introducing a new segment called Your Story, where you tell your story of faith with all the triumphs, failures, frustrations, miracles, and celebrations. What is your faith story? How did you come to know Jesus? Have you ever struggled with your own faith? What has God brought you through? And if you don't believe in God, why? I'd love to hear from you as well. Visit onfaithsedge.com slash your story, and we'll begin the conversation. Again, that's onfaithsedge.com slash your story. Well, today's guest is Nancy McGargle. Nancy is a licensed chaplain with the International Alliance of Chaplains Corps and a sought-after speaker who has presented to hundreds across the country. In a time to die, a time to live, Nancy grapples with a crisis of faith while struggling to know God's will when facing end-of-life decisions for her child. She learns to recognize and recover from false guilt as she seeks to reconnect with God in the aftermath. I believe Nancy's story will help you through the grief process and beyond the guilt associated with loss to a place of intimacy with the Lord. In today's conversation, we talk about her heart-wrenching decision whether or not to remove her daughter from life support, how she wrestled with the decision and where God ultimately led her, and the pressure she received from family, doctors, and even a prominent member of the faith community. You went through one of the most heart-wrenching decisions that I think a parent could ever go through, and that's choosing whether or not your child, despite the situation, despite the circumstances, choosing whether or not your child will live or die. That decision led you to this book, A Time to Die, A Time to Live. Tell us your story, Nancy. That decision catapulted me into a crisis of life and faith. Loss often does that to us. Uh, Sometimes it's tragic loss. And those decisions were the hardest decisions that I've ever had to reach in my life. We carry a child in our womb, and we nourish that child from our breast for a long time before uh, we grow so close to that child as women, as mothers, 
and I'm not discounting the closeness of a father's relationship as well. This was equally as hard for my husband. The reason I wrote the book was to address the needs to move beyond the grief and beyond the guilt so often associated with loss to a place of intimacy with the Lord and to address those needs of identifying godly conviction with against (laughs) uh, that from the enemy or a false self-identity with our identity in Christ. Uh, You may think that this is going to be one of those stories that just chronicles the loss of a child. It actually goes much deeper than that in that I take you from the day of the accident, my daughter sustained open head trauma. Part of her brain was removed on the day of the accident in the hopes that the rest of her brain would stabilize and she would leave the hospital one day with some degree of function. That did not happen. And over the course of a couple of months, the brain tissue continued to break down actually and be replaced with fluid. Over those months, I was faced with, well, first of all, I wanted to understand what was happening to Stacy and trying to grasp with no medical background what the doctors were saying and if that was indeed the case. So we sent everything, I sent everything to a couple other hospitals for, um, for them to look at and confirm. Finally, I reached that, um, the mental, the intellectual decision of, yes, Stacy's never going to wake up again. Then I had to try to discern, so what is God's will in this for me? I, I, unless he performs some miracle and would create new brain tissue, she will remain in this state the rest of her life. So does God want me to take care of my daughter? Does God want me to release her into his hands by removing all of the life support? Those spiritual aspects of these kind of issues which we are faced with today because of the advances in technologies, this is not an uncommon problem or dilemma. Um, People from all faiths, people from around the world (laughs) will face this. And I think it's very important for us to discuss the necessity of dealing, sorting through the individual, the spiritual, the scriptural, the emotional aspects and the ramifications of such decisions. So what, this is your daughter, is that correct? Yes, so that's So what happened daughter. to your daughter that, what was the, the event? The event was she was traveling from our home. She was about an hour and a half from our home on her way to meet a friend's parents. She was one week from leaving for college. Um, he was the driver of the car uh, in which she was a passenger ended up underneath a tractor-trailer truck. And Stacy ended up in a tightly little knit ball under the glove compartment. Her injuries were all open-head trauma, as I said. Um, Over the course of those weeks, however, she experienced several infections, and other. she was completely healthy before the accident. And so over the course of those weeks is um, where we saw some infections and she wasn't breathing adequately and other things like that. So that was the, she was, there were no drugs or alcohol involved. It was simply, the young man was probably, the police said, going too fast and lost control of the car. 
So how long was she in the hospital before you were finally faced with the decision? Uh, before we were finally faced with the decision? Or how much time had passed from the, from the accident to the time you were faced with the decision? The accident occurred on August 25th. And in the back of my book, I do have a chronological order for the readers just to be able to grasp the time frame. Um, so the accident occurred on uh, August 25th and Stacy passed on October 31st. So a handful of months. Went yes. By, uh, yes. Months now you ask a different question though. When you said, when were we fast, uh, faced with the end of life decisions? Um, the first day of the accident, I found out later there were two physicians, uh, and one, I believe, had a little difference of opinion with the other. The one was a young, very optimistic neurosurgeon, and he is the person who operated on Stacy. The other was more of a seasoned, older gentleman. And his attitude, I discovered in the days coming, was that Stacy should have died that she shouldn't have even been kept alive because there was no hope for this patient. I encountered that kind of um, outlook when she was life-flighted to the next hospital as well. Um, so I had a young surgeon who was optimistic and believed that he could save his patient versus some other more hard-lined physicians saying, you need to just disconnect everything right now. She needs to just be done here. And you need to be done here. That was very hard to deal with. And I would encourage your listeners, if they're ever in a situation such as this, and the, and they perceive that there's some difference of opinion, uh, it's important to have a patient's advocate. At the end of my chapters, I give some coping strategies. And those coping strategies would help people faced with crises of any kind, any kind. It doesn't have to be a child dying. It can be a, a divorce. It can be a, a loss of a limb or a loss of a breast due to cancer. Um, a loss of a home and all your identity that goes into that. It's a loss of a job and your income. Um, but those coping strategies are things that just real common sense, concrete steps that people can take um, to walk one step at a time one day at a time through the crisis and the aftermath of the crisis because it was truly the aftermath, um, the years of depression and guilt related to these decisions that put me on a whole new um, path with the Lord. You bring up a good point about modern technology. Mm, um, yes. Because generations past were not... We can keep somebody alive, essentially for as long as the hospital pays the electric bill, you know, uh, for, for forever, technically alive, breathing, maybe brainwaves are different of a different issue, but, but we can take, we can keep them alive far longer than we used to be able to. So these decisions, people, parents, and whoever were not faced with these types of decisions. Um, in generations past. No. But you were. Stacy's uh, accident actually happened in 1993. And I recently, uh, well, in writing the book, 
I went to her physicians years later, interviewed them at length, and I am so blessed that those physicians gave me hours of their time. And I recorded those in those interviews, and a lot of what you will read in the book is taken from those interviews as far as Stacy's actual day-to-day condition. One of those doctors um, compared Stacy's injury to that of JFK, uh, who, as you know, did die very shortly after his gunshot wound to the skull. He said that, and, and that is why this doctor decided, you know, he, he wanted to really try to save her and my daughter. Uh, but the injury did take her, it destroyed her brain. And yet, in going back to those doctors, in those dialogues with the doctors, they said that they would not have changed any part of her treatment today that they had administered that many years ago. What was incredible to me is as far as medical advances have come with medicine and how they treat injury and wounds and things such as this, the brain you can only go so far with. And there was just no brain tissue left for Stacy. But had her accident happened um, even a few years earlier, she would not have lived even to get to the hospital. It was only because of life flight and the EMTs that took care of her on the site that she lived. She was resuscitated several times um, at the site, in the life flight, in the emergency room, and during surgery. And they, they kept bringing her back. But a few years earlier, that would not have been the case. So yes, medical technology has really forced upon us situations with our which people before us never had to deal with. And it is important that we sort those things out. You said earlier that you had to discern what God's will yes. is in this situation. Um, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't clearly say anything about this. I mean, it, there's the sanctity of life. There is thou shalt not murder, you know, some of the very clear things, but this isn't one of those clear situations. How did you discern God's will? Did you, did you consult pastors or your pastor counselors, other, of course, doctors, but how did you discern God's will in this situation? That is a very good question. Um, I go through the different stages of that in the book and how I would answer you today. The short form was, I consulted with many, many people. Now, my husband didn't necessarily appreciate that. He felt this was a very personal decision. But I was, you know, looking at this from a spiritual and a a scriptural context. And therefore, I talked to pastors. I talked to the chaplains. I talked to um, counselors. I, I called Focus on the Family. I called so many. My mother was a prayer warrior. We had people praying across the country. I would say that the redeeming, one point of redemption uh, for me as I look back was that one of the pastors that I spoke with before Stacy died said to me, and I want your hearers, your listeners to really get this. He said to me, I so honestly and so raw, I do not know what God's specific will 
in this situation is, I only know that you love your daughter and that God will honor your decision because of that love for your daughter. That gave me such peace that he understood that pastor, but also that he was confirming that God understood um, that I was making whatever decision. It would be from my love for my daughter and my care about her. Your story made it um, made it through made it through the Christian circles. Let's just put it that way. And uh, you were contacted <laughs> by a well-known uh, Christian speaker and author, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. I was. And tell us about the nature of that relationship, the nature of that contact, and what what that meant to you. Well, I can tell you that our family, I have seven siblings. Four of us are blind. The other four are sighted. So, and our father had died from kidney disease. And we were very familiar with special needs. And so when I looked at Stacy's decision, and I pled before God, you know, what do you want for Stacy? What do you want for me? I am willing to take care of her the rest of my life. But if you want me to release her to you, that's fine too, God. So in coming to that decision, the involvement of Johnny came about through another friend who I had confided in about these decisions who contacted Johnny and said, you have to stop this family. They're, they're making a decision that is, you know, wrong. The daughter's in a coma. So I received a registered letter from Johnny the day after life support was removed. Johnny has graciously written the endorsement for my book. And when she got back to me after she read that book, she said, you need to get this published. It's going to help so many people. The reason she said that and the reason that all came about was because someone had contacted her and not, not knowing the whole story and not giving her the whole story. And in order to respond, she only knew that my daughter was in a coma. She didn't know the whole ramification of all that had happened and all that we had gone through to make these decisions. She immediately called and apologized for that letter. But... I already had a bent on perfectionism, and I do not hold anything against Johnny Erickson Tata. I highly respect her. Her tapes, her CDs were playing in Stacy's hospital room, and, and so to get that letter, you can imagine, it just threw me off balance, and yet she was someone we highly respected and who had apologized and who sent me many books over the years, and we've spoken. Um, it just was my, my bent on perfectionism and not doing anything wrong, wanting to always be pleasing others and pleasing God. And that's the redemption of this whole story is that I discovered that God loves me, loves me, loves me. He loves his children. He loves you. And I mean, God loves you. Now, we read that in the Bible. And we read those scriptures that say God works everything out for good for those who are called according to the word or to the Lord and according to his purpose and for his glory. He works everything out. Yes. But have you been convinced of that? Has he proven that to you? He doesn't have to prove anything to us. 
but he proved that to me through this experience. And I have a closer relationship with God than I've ever had before. I was a Christian going into this, but now I can say, uh, eye to eye, face to face, I know that God loves me, and it's not because of me. I know that God cares about me, and it's not anything that I've done. I know God accepts me unconditionally, not because I'm a perfect person, but because I have the blood of Jesus, a relationship with Jesus Christ, who died for my sins, who carried, who absorbed the wrath of God on my behalf so that I can be friends with God. I can reach out and know God personally in a way that I've never had experienced before. Praise his name. You went through this tragedy, not only the the accident of your daughter, but the decision to um, let death progress naturally. Why was it important for you to write this book, A Time to Die, A Time to Live? There are many people, for one reason or another, who are caught, who are enmeshed in a prison of guilt. And it may not have anything to do with these issues. Uh, There are so many cases of child abuse, of um, cases in churches where people in the church have wounded someone else. And they are suffering. And I truly feel that it is only the love of God that can free them to understand how completely he forgives them. Uh, God is a God of second chance. He's a God who will redeem anything that we put in his hands. Now, my daughter died, yes. But as I said, uh, and my faith was tested to the nth degree in this. When you have to make those kind of decisions, I mean, our our sons and daughters are not supposed to pass before us. And in this life, when those decisions are placed in our hands, uh, it just doesn't feel right. But God redeemed this. And I want others to understand that God loves them, that God forgives them. And sometimes we have an idea in our head. I had the idea in my head that I had done something that God could never, he would probably banish me to some corner of heaven. I mean, I knew Jesus Christ as my Savior, so I knew I was going to heaven, but would he ever want to be close to me again? And now I enjoy intimacy that I never would have imagined. How was your daughter's faith when she passed? When I said it's your faith is tested to the nth degree, and when you have to make those decisions, I said, well, Lord, I know, I know that she came forward in church and she professed you as Savior, but can I be sure if, if, if you want her in heaven with you, then, then I'll release her. I'll have them turn off all the machines and everything. But how can I be sure that she made that decision? How can I know? You can't know another person's heart. Well, God gave me a reassurance of that. Um, and it came in, you should read the book. <laughs> it came in different ways. But um, there were people who prayed with her. There was a pastor who came. I mean, so many ways in which God confirmed that. Um, the other dilemma, though, is if you have to make a decision like this, do you really believe in heaven? Because 
hey, when her heart stops beating, is she going to just be done? Or is she truly going to be in heaven? And so it tests your faith to the nth degree. And as I said, it's, it's a tool that God used in my life to convince me of his love and his forgiveness and, and so many other truths that I share in the book. You talked earlier about a person that's in a prison of guilt. Obviously, yeah. this book is, is about, uh, tells your story uh, and uh, the decision to uh, remove your daughter from life support. But it's also a, a broader story about dealing with guilt Mm-hmm. And about dealing with life's decisions and mm-hmm. coming at peace with the decisions that you feel are the right decisions in the moment. How does somebody bring themselves from that prison of guilt uh, and suffering in that to a, a place of peace and um, understanding that God is in control? Well, I don't think we bring ourselves, number one. I do believe that God frees us, but I believe there are things. Your listeners need not feel that guilt needs to diminish them. I mean, that loss needs to diminish them, excuse me. Um, God can redeem those losses. Uh, the Holy Spirit, who, who comes to abide in us once we, we invite the Lord into our lives, will lead and direct us. Uh, throughout our lives. Now, I have laid out many concrete steps in my book that will empower the reader. And yet, uh, just just down-to-earth things that the readers or <laughs> listeners uh, can do as they walk through a crisis. You don't need to remain a victim, whatever the loss is. Um, and it could be that you're divorced or you're um, suffering from... Uh, the, the depression and anguish of uh, being a soldier and the decision soldiers need to meet, any, anything like that. Um, but the Holy Spirit will guide and direct and lead you into a new understanding of God's faithfulness, of his trust. So I would say, yes, that it's truly accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that is the answer. We can't do it of ourselves. How do you hope people are changed after reading your book, A Time to Die, A Time to Live? I have a, a sister and a son who are special needs teachers. And I have been told by others who have already read my book that for years and years and years, they have suffered somewhat like I did. I, I really had no—I uh, wondered why her God and not me. She's the child, I'm the adult, you know. I'm fine with going to be with you. Um, And yet there are people who, for one reason or another, become recluse, they isolate themselves, they shut themselves off emotionally from the world. I hope that my message of God's love and forgiveness and redemption will free them from that prison that they've built up around themselves, really. Um, and there is a responsibility of, that we own in how will I, what choice will I make going forward? Will I choose to accept God's forgiveness 
and live under the umbrella of his love uh, and within the embrace of his arms? Or do I want to become, remain or become bitter, an unforgiving person? Uh, so many different ways in which we can choose uh, to deal with loss and guilt. But those things only isolate us even more and hurt us more than they do those that those feelings are directed toward. The book is A Time to Die, A Time to Live, Making and Moving Beyond End of Life, life Decisions by Nancy McGargle. Nancy, can we talk a little bit about your personal faith? Mm-hmm. How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? I was raised in a Christian home by a mother who took us to church every Sunday. Uh, the experience of me coming to the Lord, I do share in my book, uh, Time to Die, Time to Live. <laughs> that experience happened at church camp on Vesper Hill one evening. The sun was going down. It was just a beautiful wooded area. And I looked up into the stars, and I just was amazed at the beauty, the glory of God that was evident all around me and everything I heard and everything I saw. And I thought, well, God, if you can hold those stars and all of this world in your hands and keep it all held together, then I want to give you my life, and I'm asking you just to hold it in your hands as well. Through, through this uh, tragedy and victory, yes, through this process and through your life, have you ever had a time where you doubted God or maybe even the existence of God? I did not. That was interesting. I did not doubt the existence of God. I doubted my own place, you know, um, my relationship with God more, or my standing with God, I should say, perhaps. And, and there are a number of reasons, as there will be with many of your listeners, for the reason we are in the place we are today, as far as our spiritual beliefs. Uh, I would say that I didn't doubt the existence of God, but I certainly wondered, where is God in this? And what is his will? And why don't you answer these prayers? And if you want Stacy in heaven with you, why not just take her? Why do I have to be involved in this? Uh, but he didn't work it out that way. Um, and we will never have the answers to some of our questions. But what we can have with God is peace that passes understanding. Finally, as we wrap up, Nancy, what would you say to that person that is right on faith's edge right now, deciding whether or not they believe in God? I would say, what do you have to lose? <laughs> I would say, get real with God. I mean, I screamed out to God. I really pled before him. And I asked him all the raw questions that, any normal human being would ask. Um, I mean, I was always, like I said, as a child, I accepted the Lord. But it is different when you're going through something like this. And I do not know how I would have survived without my relationship with the Lord. Um, I would say, give God a chance. I would say, just, you know, lay it all out to him and say, God, show me. If you're real, show me. Give me some indication. Send someone who will speak a word that 
I actually get. I can understand and connect with. Um, God will do that. If we're real with him, he'll get very real with us. I don't think we can say anything more than that. Nancy McGargle, the book is A Time to Die, A Time to Live, Making and Moving Beyond End-of-Life Decisions. What a story of... Well, I'll just say this. This story is tragic, and it's victorious. It's heart-wrenching, and it's peaceful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I just want to give God all the glory. Nancy's website is timetolivebook.com. Again, timetolivebook.com. And of course, the book is available on amazon.com. These links, as well as all the other links, can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 82. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 82. Remember, I want to hear your story. I want to hear how, how God has affected your life. I want to know if you've ever struggled with your faith, what God has brought you through. And again, if you don't believe in God, why? I'd like to hear, hear your story as well. Go to onfaithsedge.com slash your story. Again, that's onfaithsedge.com slash your story, and we'll get together and chat. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Nancy McGargle for being with us, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to the show. Remember, God is real. He loves you, and so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you.